0: Hey guys, welcome to Calvary HSM. We are a place where we want to make disciples who live and love like Jesus. So we hope you enjoy this podcast. Well, good evening, everybody. How are we all doing tonight? Woo! woo! That's like about the energy level that's coursing through my body as well. It's like, woo! Um, how many of you all were at Friday Night Lights this past Friday? Yeah. That was a good time. That was, a, that was a, a fun time, a rowdy time, a late night, and your boy's a little sleepy. Um, if I haven't had the chance to meet you yet or introduce myself, my name is Drew Walton. I'm the associate high school pastor here, um, and I am delighted to be with you all tonight. Let me just reiterate uh, once more. If this is your first time with us or one of your first times, um, like truly from the bottom of my heart, we're really glad that you're here. Um, sometimes we can end someone say like, nope. Um, Yes, we are. Sometimes you can enter spaces like this or or come into a church. Maybe you've even like never been to church before. We've had a lot of people showing up in the last few months who are like, I've never gone to church before and I'm just checking things out. Uh, And sometimes it can feel a little daunting of like, okay, am I like supposed to be here if I'm not sure what I believe or do I have to like pretend that I believe more than I do? And the answer is no. We're so glad that you're here with your curiosity and your questions. And so just from the bottom of my heart, I'm really glad that you're here. Thanks for uh, choosing to spend your Sunday night with us. You could have spent it with anybody else. Uh, I'm curious, what were some of the answers to the question, what was the best Halloween costume you ever had? Any, any good ones? Someone this morning told me that they were a strip of bacon and I thought that was charming and delicious. Just like real bacon. Charming and delicious. Anyone, any other good costumes you had over the years? Were you, JD Lasky says he was the cookie monster. Were you actually? That's an incredible costume, bring that back. You were four years old. So that means what, like at least 10 years have passed since then, right? I remember when I was a kid in elementary school, I was an army guy for like six years running. I had like my group of buddies and every year we got like a new fake weapon and a piece of camo. It's just like we got more invisible as the years went on. It was like the face paint, all of that. It was great. Um, So like I said, I'm the associate high school pastor here at HSM. Um, I first started here as a volunteer uh, about 15 years ago, which is a crazy thing to be able to say. How many of you are 15 years old? That's crazy, well done, love you guys. But as you can imagine being in um, ministry with high school students for that long, I've seen some stuff. Um, I've experienced some crazy things. I've seen like things go off the rails on mission trips and like I've sprinted after an ambulance in Ukraine. Like I've been around for all of the tea and the high school drama. I've seen crazy things go down. Um, I've gotten to celebrate like high highs with you guys. I've uh, gotten to walk through like low lows. Um, I've seen some crazy things, but what I wanted to do is I wanted to open tonight by telling you um, admittedly the grossest thing I've ever experienced in all my years of youth ministry, so here's your warning. Um, it, I'm about to tell you a story that's a little gross. It's, it's got a point at the end. It's got a purpose, but it is gross. If you like uh, brought your dinner in here, maybe just like finish it now or save it for later. But anyways, all that to say... Um, We love camp here in HSM, right? Like, camp is a great time. Uh, We do summer camp, and we do winter camp, as you saw. Winter camp registration opened today. Um, And we go up to Hume Lake. And we used to go to Hume Lake, where we do winter camp. We did it years and years ago for summer camp. Now, if you're like, wait a minute, we do. Um, We go to Hume SoCal, which is a different campus now, owned by Hume. But we used to go up to the same campus that we go to for winter camp uh, back in the day. Um, And so many moons ago, we were at summer camp at Hume Lake and it's like a warm foresty lake paradise where you just get to like escape for a week of summer camp. It was great. Um, And I had all of these guys in my cabin. I was a cabin leader Um, and I had a bunch of guys, some of the guys I knew already and maybe like half of them I met like the first day of camp. It was like, hi, nice to meet you. We're going to become friends. It's good to get to know you. And the configuration of the cabin was like this. We were like a cabin apart from everything else. We were kind of like, like the cabin that time forgot. We were away from everybody else in the woods. um, There was no bathroom attached to the cabin. So we had to like trek through the woods to get to the bathroom to like brush our teeth or like use the restroom or take a shower, all that sort of stuff. So the building was simply this. It was one building that had a hallway that ran through it, a door on either side. And then off of the hallway were uh, four little bedrooms and each bedroom had two bunk beds. So four people, right? So that's 12 people in total. It's bedroom, bedroom, hallway. That's the configuration. And it was like night two of camp. And as you can imagine, if you've been to camp before, um, they are long and exciting and full days, right? Like you get up and you have breakfast. Some maniacs are doing morning workouts. I'm not that maniac at camp. Um, and then it's like, you have breakfast and then maybe you're in chapel and then rec and then you got free time and you're doing all the stuff. You're doing the blob or the zip line or you're playing paint, paintball, or like whatever, like day full of activities. And then it's like dinner and then evening chapel and then free time and then cabin discussion and then cabin time, right? It's like a full day. And then it's like lights out, but we all know lights out doesn't happen when lights out is like on paper to happen, right? It's like, then the conversations continue. So it's like 1 a.m. at this point. It's like day two of camp. I'm totally spent and finally everybody goes to bed. And so there's one kid awake, this kid named Austin. He's like, can I stay in the hallway and read my Bible? And I was like, who's gonna say no to that? So he's just like quietly sitting like crisscross applesauce in the hallway, just like reading his Bible. I was like, he's fine. He'll go to bed um, in a minute. And so I go and I climb into bed. And you know that place where you're like between asleep and awake, right? You're like drifting and it's like, you don't know what's dream, what's reality. It's kind of like, I could just like slip into the dream state at this point. So I'm like right there, I'm so tired, I'm just like about to fall asleep when all of a sudden I hear a knock at the door of my room. It's like, that was a terrible example. Uh, but you all know knocks. Um, but so there's a knock at the door of the room and it's this kid, Austin, who's been reading the Bible. And I'm like, Austin, what's, what's going on, buddy? And he goes, Drew, come quick. So I was like, what? I was like, what's up, dude? And he goes, Drew, come quick. Tanner pooped the hallway. (laughs) I was was like, this is a joke, right? Like, he's messing with me. Like, surely there's no way that the words that just came out of his mouth are true. And I was like, bro, Austin, not the time for it, buddy. Like, go back to bed and he goes he waits for a second and then he goes no drew i'm serious tanner pooped the hallway and i could hear like fear in his voice where i was like i should investigate this so i climb out of bed and i like throw on a shirt and i get to the hallway and as soon as i get to the door frame like a wall of smell punches me in the face it was like Whoa. It was like immediate gag reflex, like, I don't know what bad smells you've smelled, but this one I guarantee was like 10x worse than whatever that was. It was like, I've got a a bunch of questions for God when I get to glory someday, but why that smell exists is like near the top of the list. and so I I'm like and I look and Austin's standing in the doorway with me and I look it was like this is so bad you guys it was like a crime scene and I look and I'm down like just like down the hall is just like a spray of diarrhea and then the door at the end of the hall is open and it's just the blackness of the forest at night and I'm like Austin where's Tanner <laughs> He goes He goes, I was in the hallway reading my Bible and Tanner came out and I said, bro, you don't look so good. And he said, I don't feel so good. And then he just started pooping and he ran to the doorway like this and disappeared and I didn't know what to do so I came to get you. I was like, I've seen some stuff, but this is the craziest, most surreal experience of my ministry life. And so I'm like, so you don't know where he is? He's like, nope, haven't a clue. I like look out the door to the forest and there's like nobody. And again, we're like the cabin away from all the other cabins. So I was just like, this is interesting. Hope a bear didn't get him, but I don't think a bear would even go near him. But... So I go and I grab a co-leader, this guy, Kyle. I was like, Kyle, um, so one of our students is missing. He's also lost control of his bowels. I need you to help me find him. So he's like, okay, okay, okay. And so we go, (laughs) and so we go, and we're like fanning out into the woods, like Tanner, like trying to be like, quiet enough where we're not like waking up all of camp but like loud enough where tanner could be like i'm over here um and so we're like looking all over high and low and we cannot find this guy tanner i had someone i shared this story once a while back and someone afterwards said did you change his name when you told the story i was like no it was tanner uh so but he's long gone you wouldn't know he graduated years ago um and he's fine with me telling this story Or at least he was the last time I spoke to him. Hope he hasn't had a change of heart. Uh, But anyways, so we're looking everywhere. And I'm like, I don't know where this pooping kid is. (laughs) So um, we're about to go up to this like main frontage road, like above the cabins to try to like get a higher perspective and go. And so it's like me and Kyle, we got our flashlights in the nighttime, uh, looking for patient zero. And... um, Kyle 's heading up to the road, and I just like i don 't know if you've ever experienced something like this, but I just had like uh, like i would say like a prompting from the Lord in my heart that was just like i 'm supposed to, I need to go back and i oh here 's the detail I left out so the um, the door at the end of the hallway actually didn 't let out to ground level, it led out to stairs that went down, so it was like you would walk out on this little landing and then the stairs went down parallel to the building, and I had this like thing in my heart where I was like. I don't know why he would be under those stairs, but I need to go look under the stairs. So I was like, I'm gonna go check somewhere else. Like you go on ahead, I'll I'll holler if I find him. And so I go back and I get to the stairs and I shine my flashlight under the stairs. And who do I find? But Tanner. And here's what I see. Um, Tanner is in the fetal position under the stairs, (laughs) poor kid. And he's got um, diarrhea down his legs. He's got vomit down his front. He's got the dirt now caked on to it. And he is shaking, like convulsing shaking, like Buddy was in a bad way. And so I was like, oh my gosh. And so I go, and it, what, the best that we can understand what happens is that he <laughs> pooped the hallway and made it to the door and started going down the stairs and lost consciousness and fell down the stairs and then somehow crawled under the stairs. Uh, Had no memory of like the 10 minutes prior, like those was just gone. Um, And so he was confused, obviously. He was a little afraid, um, felt awful, was like continuing to have issues Um, and Uh, At nighttime, time, it was cold, so he's like shivering um, or some sort of convulsion. So I was like, oh my gosh. So I get my co-leader back. Um, I was like, you wait with him. I'll go grab help. And so I'm like sprinting across campus to the little guard shack that there's like one dude (laughs) up for the night to like help in case of emergency. And so I was like, hey man, like I need the medic. And he's like, I'll have to check first before I can call the truck. I was like, I'm pretty sure you're gonna send the medic. He goes, I have to check. I was like, okay, so we walk or or like, I'm like power walking to try to get him to Tanner. We go all the way across campus. He takes one look at the kid and he goes, I'm gonna get the truck. I was like, yeah, good idea. And so he disappears. And Kyle's up at the cabin um, trying to like make sure everything's okay, cleaning crew is starting to um, show up. And here's the other thing. Man, they, they must have had like a past, the, the Hume Lake cr- cleaning crew must have had a past in like the mob or something, making things disappear. Because by the time at the end of all this that I got back, it was like nothing had happened. You couldn't smell it in the air, you couldn't see it on the ground. It was like, am I in the same cabin? Anyways, that was an aside. Um, all that to say, So Kyle's up at the cabin. I'm like, grab him a change of clothes and all of that. I'm with Tanner and we're waiting for the medical truck to come and get him to take him to the infirmary. And I remember sitting next to him. Again, he's just like perfumed with this stench. and I was like, what's the most reasonable amount of distance I can keep between me and Tanner and still come across as a caring adult? And I was like, you. So I were sitting like feet away and be like, buddy, <laughs> like, it's going to be okay. Like, help is on the way. Um, And I got to be honest, this was one of those moments in my life where I would say I heard the Lord really clearly, and he didn't tell me what I wanted to hear, but he told me what I needed to hear. And what he told me was, your job and your only job right now is to scoot in close to this kid and put your arm around him and comfort him and tell him he's going to be okay. Like, that is what I want from you tonight. And I was like, no, God. (laughs) He was like, oh, yes. And I was like, ah. And so I remember, I was like, here we go. And I slid in close to him. And I remember just like feeling like the stickiness of his leg up against my leg. And I was like, whoa. And I put my arm around him. I remember feeling my shirt start to like get wet and absorb it. And I, I had my arm around this kid and I was like, Listen, Tanner, buddy, I'm, I'm in this with you, and you're going to be okay, and help is on the way. And I remember he looked me in the eye, and he had this look on his face that was like, why? <laughs> like, why would you do this? And I was just like, I'm here for you, man. And so I remember the uh, the medical team came, And uh, we got him loaded in, we went to the infirmary, Um, we got him washed up, Uh, we got him into bed. Actually, my co-leader came, and he had brought two shirts and no pants for the kid. I was like, go get him pants. He's like, I'm sorry, I didn't know. Uh, So we got him washed up, we got him warmed up, we got him in bed, Um, we got him medicine, and he stayed the night there in the infirmary, he stayed the next day there, in the infirmary. He spent the next night there in the infirmary. Um, and then the following day, he was uh, released and, and came back to camp. Um, but it was this crazy thing where they like never really figured out what was going on with him. Like the best guess is that it was food poisoning, but literally not a single other person in the camp um, got sick. Um, sort of a mystery thing. But I'll tell you what, I remember at the end of that first night getting him all situated and I was like, can I stay here tonight with like the nurse and everybody with him? And he's like, the nurse was like, no, you've gotta go back. And I was like, all right, when's the earliest I can be here tomorrow? She was like, 7 a.m. I was like, okay, cool, I'll come and visit you. Um, I went back to my cabin and like I said, I got back to the cabin and it was like spotless clean and smelled of breeze or whatever they (laughs) put there. And I remember finally climbing into bed at like 3 a.m. And I remember sitting in bed Just kind of talking to the Lord and being like, what in the world was that that I just experienced? Um, Like, why? And what in the wide world? Um, And what I felt the Lord say to me in that moment was, um, what you got to experience tonight and what you got to participate in tonight, um, you might not have realized it in the moment, but that is the gospel, like, that's what the gospel is. There's not a different gospel. There's not a clean gospel. The gospel is a messy gospel. Um, and here's, here's what it is, is that all people, and really, like, for me, being someone who has encountered Jesus um, and made him the Lord of my life, for me, this is very true, is that prior to Jesus, it was me who was out in darkness, um, confused alone, cut off, afraid, covered in my own mess, um, powerless to help myself, and he came and he found me, and he cared for me, and he comforted me, and he cleaned me, and he uh, washed me, um, and he made me healthy, and made me strong again, and entered into relationship with me, like that is the gospel. Like There's not a different version of the gospel, that's what that is, and what the Lord said to me was, that's what you got to do for Tanner tonight, uh, because that's how I love people. people in a way that makes them look me in the eye and go, why? <laughs> um, like that is the gospel, and here's the reality, you guys. Like, uh, like I said, there's there's a number of you in the room. Um, I imagine uh, at least some number of you have grown up. I mean, I recognize a lot of you, so um, have, have some sort of experience in church. I, I know many of you in the room consider yourselves followers of Christ, would call him the Lord of your life, and so. Um, at the same time, I recognize that there are people in the room who are investigating for themselves, or um, maybe got like roped into this by a friend tonight. There's a kid who came here. You're ago who used to lie to people to get them to church. I'm not recommending that, but he'd be like, let's go get dinner. And they'd get in his car, he'd bring them here. (laughs) So I hope no one tricked you into coming here tonight. But either way, we're glad you're here. Um, But here's the reality, is that when you know what it is to be utterly lost... Like, when you know that experience, when you have felt it, experienced it, when you know what it means um, to be alone, to be cut off, to be in darkness, to feel filthy, uh, to feel powerless, to change your circumstance, like, when you know what that is, and then you're found, it changes you, amen? Like it, it transforms you. You are not the same after that. I am not the same after an experience like that. And the reality is, is that once we've been found, once we experience that, then we get to participate with what God's doing, going after the people who are still lost, the people who are still in darkness, the people who still feel alone and cut off and filthy and, and powerless to change their circumstances. We get to Partake in that. Um, And if you've been with us for the last few weeks, you know that right now we're in our Calvary Vision Series, and you might be like, what the heck is a vision series? But here's simply what that means. That means that for six weeks as a church, our whole church is looking at the same thing. Uh, We're looking at the same topics about like what is the vision of who we are trying to be as Calvary Community Church? Like, what is the vision and the direction? What's the vision, the mission, the values um, that God has given our leadership about what direction we're supposed to move in, where we're supposed to grow. the next few years, like what we're going to be about. And so any room that you enter throughout the week that's teaching here at Calvary, you'll get these same topics, right? And we've talked about things like God's people delight in God's word. Uh, We've talked about things like life change happens in relationship, things that you'll see plastered on the walls around here, things that you'll hear people talking about around here. Um, And the value that we were talking about tonight is this concept of exactly what we've been talking about so far, and here's, here's the words that we've wrapped around it to explain it the best that we can, is that when we've encountered Jesus, when we know what it's been to be lost, and we've become found, um, the value, the who we're trying to be is this, that found people find people. Like, that's what we're about. Like, when you know what it is to be lost, and you've experienced being found, then it, there's nothing more joyful than being in that work with the Lord to go and find people. Right to find the people who are lost, who are powerless, who are cut off, who are broken, who feel filthy, all of that, to find them and do the same thing that God did for us to them as his ambassadors. And so I wanna read you a statement, this is from our leadership here at Calvary, about what that looks like in action. Here's what they say, this is their words. They say, we see, like when we vision for the future, we see a church filled with disciples who are energized by the mission of introducing unsaved neighbors, family, colleagues, and friends to Jesus, because he found us, and he will do everything, or we will do everything we can to invite people far from God to know who Jesus is, and to know what he's done. So rather than just waiting for people to come to us and ask about our God, we're going to take a proactive approach to tell people about the hope that we have in Christ Jesus. So we must have the same initiative or the same invitational spirit as the disciple Philip who after meeting Jesus found Nathanael and invited him to come and see. And that's exactly this reference right here of Philip and Nathaniel. That's the story that we're going to look at tonight. And so if you're a person who brought a Bible, if you've got the Bible app, or if you have a, if you're like, I'm an analog king or queen, and I like the paper version, you can grab that. Or if you're like, I'll read it off the screen. Thank you very much. We're going to throw it on the screen, but we're jumping into the book of John. Um, If you're less familiar with the scriptures, um, John is what we call one of the four gospel accounts. Uh, So it's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They're the first books of the New Testament. Um, And All four of them are accounts of the life, the ministry, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, right? Like this idea that God loved us so much that he put on flesh, right? Like we talk about the word incarnation, um, and that just means like entered into flesh, like entered into meat. Like you think like carne asada, meat, right? Incarnation right, like that's what we're talking about, that God loved us so much that he came, entered into this flesh experience, this human experience, to come after us, to find us, to sacrifice his life, um, to be resurrected, to speak on the good news of God and the kingdom of God, and to rescue us. It was a rescue mission, right? And so that's what we find in the four gospels. And so in the book of John, it starts out, Book of John uh, is the account of John the Baptist. Um, and now here's what you need to know about John. So we're jumping in in chapter one. We're going to jump in around verse 35, I want to say. Um, but prior to that, so you've got John the Baptist. He shows up and his whole kind of role, like the thing that he's about, his vision, his mission, um, his directive from God is that he is a preacher. Uh, he baptizes people. Um, He had started to gain a a huge following. Like he had people's attention. He was this very dynamic communicator and people were drawn to him. And you also have to remember that the world was waiting for a Messiah, right? There was all of these centuries old prophecies about a coming Messiah and everyone is on the lookout. They're feeling the labor pains. They're feeling the ache of the absence of the Messiah. They're waiting for his arrival. And so you got this guy, John the Baptist, who's this amazing kind of dynamic figure. And everybody, kind of starting to wonder, like, is John the Baptist the Messiah? Like, is he who we've been waiting for? Is he who we've been hearing about? And so John daily would go down to the river. He'd baptize people. He would teach the truth of the kingdom of God. And so the religious leaders of the time kind of show up to investigate. They're like, who is this dude? Is he good news? Is he bad news? Is he the Messiah? Do we love him? Do we hate him? Like, who's John the Baptist? And so they show up to investigate and they ask John the Baptist and John's whole thing, just a humble man. He's like, no, 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 no. I'm not the Messiah you're looking for. Like my whole, my whole role, my whole goal is to be the one who proceeds the Messiah. I'm here to roll out the welcome mat. I'm here to point him out to you guys, but it's not me. I'm not who you're looking for. And so they go away and the next day, but he's like, but he's here now, right? He's already among us. Like you're right about the timing the wait is over, the Messiah is here, um, but it hasn't been revealed yet who he is. And so then the next day, um, the crowds gather, John the Baptist is there, the Pharisees are there, the people are there, and Jesus shows up. And John the Baptist is like, ding, 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 that's him, right? He says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so It says right here in the book of John in chapter one in verse 35, it says, the next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. So two of the guys following him. And it says, when he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the lamb of God. Now we could talk forever. We could do a whole series on what that means that he's the lamb of God. But the first thing that I just want to throw in your head, if you're familiar at all with Old Testament, um, if you went to like Sunday school, if you know at all about um, Abraham, right? Like Abraham was like the original covenant with God's people. Maybe you've heard the story of Abraham and Isaac where Abraham, Abraham was going to sacrifice his son, Isaac, right? Like they're climbing the mountain. Isaac's got the wood for the burnt offering and Isaac's starting to like put stuff together. He's like, where's the lamb dad? Um, And his dad's like, God's going to provide the lamb. Right? And so at the last minute, God tells him to not kill his son. Praise God. Um, And he had said God will provide a lamb, but what shows up in that moment is a goat. Um, and so for all these centuries, they've been waiting for the lamb of God, the perfect, perfect sacrifice of God to come and take the sins of the world away, to come and be an atoning sacrifice. They've been waiting for the lamb of God. And John says, there he is. That's the lamb of God. So he's got his two disciples with him. Uh, he says, look, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of of the world. And so here's the thing. If we are gonna be a people of God who are in the business of being found people, who find people, of sharing the good news, of pointing people to Jesus, to the hope that we found in Christ, to the transformation that we've found in Christ, then here's something that's true. The first task of evangelism, evangelism is just a word that we've wrapped around this concept of telling people the gospel of Jesus. The first task of evangelism is simply this, to make the message clear to make sure that we're telling it in a way that's easy for people to understand, to make the message clear. Like if we've got good news for people, it's important that they can understand it when we tell it to them, right? Like we're not trying to like wrap it in confusing terminology so we can like pat ourselves on the back. We gotta make it clear. In fact, something that's kind of happening in our family uh, here at HSM right now, uh, last Sunday we closed um, applications for mission trips. Anyone sign up for a mission trip? Yeah? yeah. <laughs> You're like, do we make noise? You can make noise. Woo, mission trips. We love mission trips. We got one billion applications this year, so it's um, gonna take a long time to read them. So we've only just like scratched the surface of reading through the applications. And we ask all sorts of questions on those applications. If you filled it out, you know. If you haven't, um, it's all sorts of things. It's like, have you, do you have any experience traveling internationally? Do you have a passport? Um, what? Like what, How do you deal with like physical challenges? Like, is, is that like a difficulty? Like, have you ever had to endure through something really uncomfortable, all that sort of stuff. And one of the questions that we put on the application is the question, in your own words, can you tell us the gospel? Like what actually is the gospel? Um, because that's so important. The first task is to make sure that the message is clear. Um, and so as you can imagine, we get all sorts of different um, All sorts of different answers on this question. We get like the gospel is just the four books of the Bible or the gospel is like be nice to people uh, or all sorts of things. Um, But I wanna read you maybe the best explanation of the gospel I've ever gotten on an application. I'm not gonna tell you who it is because it was actually from this year. Um, I'll tell you it was a girl. Uh, But here's what she said. Listen up, this is the gospel and this is beautiful. So check this out. She said this the gospel literally translates to good news. The gospels are a collection of stories of the life of Jesus. It explains how he fulfilled prophecies from the Old Testament that prove that he is the Messiah and the Son of God. We encounter God's mercy as Jesus performs miracles and heals the broken. Most stories are about Jesus' three-year ministry that eventually ended in his betrayal his crucifixion, and his resurrection. Jesus continued to love a world that hated him and was willingly tortured and beaten for our sins. Jesus was beaten beyond recognition for me, for all of humanity, and he would gladly do it again if it meant just one soul got saved. He would do it for you and only you. Jesus conquered death and now we are saved from eternal damnation. We don't have to receive hell like we very rightly deserve. Because of Jesus' sacrifice, we now have a pathway to heaven if we choose to have a relationship with him, which is so special. We get a little taste of what unfathomable love feels like. Wow. Amen. Right? Amen. It's so important that we are able to make the message clear, that we know what the good news is so that people can understand what it is for them. And so the inverse of that is also true. Sometimes we um, we muddy the message unintentionally. Sometimes we'll like, add our own thing to it or forget like key parts. Right? Like, I can't tell you how often. Actually, this is, I'll give you a little inside secret. One of the things that we're always looking for, and we literally cheer every time it shows up in one of our applications, you'd be shocked how often people forget to mention the resurrection. It's just like, and then Jesus died, which is good news for me. It's like, it's not good news if he stayed dead, you guys. So every time they're like, and was risen, our team is like, yeah, because it's our favorite part. Um, But anyway, sometimes we muddy the message without realizing it. Sometimes with the best of intentions, we want to share what we believe, what we've experienced and encountered with people, and we muddy the message without realizing it. So some of the things that we do um, that I want to caution everybody here with, and this is for me as well. Don't muddy the message with morality. Um, and, and here 's what I mean by that like the morality, as written out in god 's word, is good like god 's law is perfect and true and holy and good, right like God gave us the law but here 's the reality is that morality isn 't what saves us it 's just not, and sometimes we get the message crossed um, and we think, okay, so what what this whole thing means is that if I follow all the rules, then I can make myself holy. Um, and then God has to let me into eternity with him, right? But that's not how it works, we can't. And in fact, the whole caution of the Old Testament is if you wanna try to earn it yourself, be my guest, but here are all of the requirements for perfection, and newsflash, you are incapable of fulfilling them all. And we have never encountered a person who's been able to until Jesus fulfilled them all. So don't muddy the message with morality. Like sometimes with our best of intentions, we'll go at people trying to share good news with them, and instead what we do is we try to police their behavior. We say, hey, the thing that I really want to talk about is this thing that you're doing, this thing that you're smoking, this thing that you're drinking, this person that you're sleeping with, um, this thing that you stole, right? Again, God's law is good and it's perfect and like there is life in holiness, but that's not the gospel. Your morality won't save you. And sometimes we go about it and we muddy the message by making it about like, yeah, Jesus loves you, but we really need to get your act together. The next thing is don't muddy the message with politics. The world, I don't know if you've been around for the last few years, but has gotten very political in the last few years, which is hilarious because like 10 years ago, it was like nobody's paying attention to politics and there was like campaigns to get people to care about politics and now it's like the most intense thing in our culture um, is politics. And now here's what I'll say. It is a blessing that we live in a country where everybody who's 18 and over gets a vote. That is a good thing. We are pro-politics. You should have your own political uh, opinions. Um, You should really um, spend time thinking through issues and vote if and when you have the ability to do so. But don't don't muddy the message of the gospel with politics because that's the quickest way to shut down a conversation. That's the quickest way um, to pick a fight um, rather than bring hope and healing to somebody. We muddy the message when we make it about our political stance, our political opinion, when we just like got an ax to grind that we want to talk about from the rooftops. Um, Don't muddy the message of the gospel with politics. The next thing is don't muddy the message with theological jargon. Um, Sometimes without realizing it, we get really proud of ourselves for knowing stuff um, and, and knowing like complex terminology Like, uh, I wouldn't encourage you to talk to someone who's exploring Jesus or suffering and start talking to them about pre-millennial or post-millennial tribulation, right? Like, all you get from that is like, wow, we're all really impressed that you studied um, and this person's situation hasn't changed. Don't muddy the message of the gospel uh, with theological jargon. And, And finally, don't make secondary issues primary issues, Right, like if your whole thing that is your ax to grind is like women in ministry or evolution or a thing like, again, be passionate about all those things. But don't treat secondary issues like they're primary issues when it comes to the gospel. Um, So, all that to say. Moving forward in this story, it says in verse 37, so so you've got John, he sees Jesus, he tells his disciples, that's the guy. Um, and it says this, when the two disciples heard him say this, they left John and they followed Jesus. Talk about humility on John's part, that he wasn't like territorial about these people following him. He wasn't defensive. He wasn't possessive. He was like, good, go to the source, follow Jesus, because it's all about him. So it says that they went um, to investigate for themselves. Here's the next thing that I want to throw your way. Our church, if we're gonna be found people who find people, our church must create space for people to investigate Jesus before becoming disciples of Jesus. And I think sometimes we just want it to be like you're in or you're out, but that's not actually how it works and that's not how God set it up either. He he says, Come investigate, and we want the same. We want a place where people can ask questions. I mean, if you've been around here any amount of time, you've heard us say it a million times. Your questions are valuable to us. We love your questions. We do Q and A's. We collect your questions um, at camp. We do questions in small group. We wanna talk to you after service. If you've got questions, like your questions are not the enemy. Your ability to investigate and feel like this is a place where you can investigate God for yourself and make up your own mind, that's a high value to us. And so we need to create space. Um, But with that, if we're going to invite people to follow Jesus, there's a couple things that we should expect. We should expect questions from people. And we should expect that sometimes people are going to ask really good questions that we haven't thought about, that we're going to struggle to answer. And that's okay. You haven't failed Christianity if you don't have the answer to every question. Sometimes we throw that pressure on our shoulders, but that's just not the case. You know the best response to someone who asks a great question that you don't know the answer to? Here it is. That's a really good question. I don't know, but I would love to find out with you. Can, can I walk with you in finding that out? Boom, that's all you gotta do. The other thing that we should expect is we should expect doubt. People have doubts, right? People, everyone's trying to figure out what's true, how to live life. That's a normal part of life. Even doubt pops up in the life of the believer. So if you're someone who you're like, yeah, Jesus is the Lord of my life, and doubt crops up sometimes. Okay, that's normal. We can work through that, right? The next thing that we should expect is complicated stories. Sometimes you'll meet someone in the middle of their mess or maybe you're like, I feel in the middle of my mess and there's not like a clear like bow tie at the end of this where it's like, and now it, everything's perfect, right? Like life is complex and so our stories are complex and Jesus meets us in the middle of that. Um, but we should expect complicated stories. We should also expect sinful behavior, right? Like if your ideal church is like a church where only the perfect people hang out. Um, first, I don't want any part of that church because it would be empty. Um, But second, the gospel's not gonna go to anybody, right? And as we open the doors um, and invite questions, that invites the mess of the world and the mess of our own lives. So we shouldn't be surprised by that, right? Jesus wasn't put off by our sin and our mess, and so we shouldn't either. And the final thing we should expect is we should expect there'll be times where there's misunderstanding. There might be times where you have to apologize and say, hey, do you know what? I said something and it didn't come across the way that I wanted it to. Um, Or you might have someone Assume things about you, assume you believe certain things, assume you feel certain ways. Um, and, and we should expect misunderstanding. That's okay. Um, there's this great proverb in, in chapter 14 of Proverbs uh, where it says this it says, Where there are no oxen, the manger is clean. Um, in other words, like oxen and mangers, the manger is like a stable, right? So any of like horse girls or horse guys in the room, uh, horses go in a stable when they're not out riding, right? Uh, and here's the thing horses make mess right? Ox in a stable make a mess and you have to clean it up. And it's not like I cleaned it up and now there will never be a mess again, right? As long as that ox is in the manger, as long as that horse is in the stable, mess is going to be a part of life that's going to continue happening. And if our highest goal is that there's never any mess, um, what that means is that the stable's closed. Right? And it's the same thing for the church. Like if our highest goal is that this is a place where only perfect people hang out and no one ever makes waves and no one ever screws up and no one ever has a misunderstanding and no one ever sins. Right? Um, really what that becomes is we're going to have to empty this place out from people and it'll cease to be a church because a church is built for sinners. Right In the same way this stable is built for the animals that live there. That's just what it is. Um, And so we can't be scandalized by that. So here's the deal. So the two guys follow Jesus. And in verse 38 it says this, turning around Jesus, saw them following, he asks them a great question. He goes, hey guys, so um, what do you want? Like what is it that you're after? What's the thing that you want? And here's the reality. The questions that you ask will determine the quality of the conversations that you have with people. Um, Sometimes we go into conversations about Jesus and we think, now's my time to shine. I'm gonna monologue at this person about what I think, right? And usually, that's the wrong move out the gate. The best thing you can do is just ask questions. I I have a friend, this guy guy Brian, um, who, uh, he was a buddy of mine in college and he was like a total goofball, but he was the best evangelist that I knew and what he would always start out with is he would just look people in the eye that he had been in conversation with um, and with like a sincere curiosity, he would just say, hey, what are your thoughts on God? And then listen best conversation opener I've ever heard, but the questions you ask will determine the quality of the conversation, so learn to ask good questions. So it says this, so so Jesus asks them, what is it that you want? They turn to him, and they say, rabbi, which means teacher. They ask him another question. They they go, where are you going? We just want to go where you go. We want to investigate. Like, he says, what do you want? They say, well, where are you going? We just want to be with you and and figure out for ourselves. and here's what he says to them. He goes, "Hmm, come, and you'll see, Uh, And so they go on with him. And here's the reality is that Jesus first invites us to come and see, right? Like he is pro investigation. The invitation is come and check out for yourself. And that's the posture that we wanna have too Right, like We're we're like, come and check it out for yourself. Come and ask your questions. At Friday Night Lights, hey, if you want to check out church, you can. We're not going to try to bully you into showing up on Sunday. But our hope is that you, if you're interested, if you're curious, that you would come and see. Um, That's how he always starts. He first invites us to come and see. He's not trying to trick us into the kingdom of God. He's not trying to bully us in. He's not trying to manipulate us in. He says, come and investigate for yourself and then make up your own mind. Um, But on the other side of that, in the book of Luke in chapter 14, it says, this is large crowds were traveling with Jesus and turning to them, he said something else. He said, anyone that comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. And now when he says like, hate your mother and father or your wife or your children, what he's not saying is like, harbor hatred towards the people closest in your life. What he's saying is he's using a rhetorical v- device to say, hey, if you're gonna be my disciple, then I need to take precedent in your life in a way that by contrast makes the uh, the people you love most second to that, that m- it's as if you hate them by comparison. Not that you actually hate them, because we're called to love, but what he's saying is if you're gonna be my disciple, like come and see, uh, investigate for yourself, decide for yourself, but if you're gonna be my disciple, if you're actually opting into this, then my voice needs to take precedent. And when I say yes, it's yes, and when I say no, it's no. See, Jesus first invites us to come and see, but Jesus finally invites us to come and die to ourselves, to lay down our selfishness, our pride, our self will, our my way or the highway, our, I'm trying to impress everybody else. Jesus invites us to come and die to ourself. Cause here's the thing, Jesus makes the door wide, it's open to everybody, but he also makes the bar high. And he says, hey, if I'm gonna be Lord of your life, like the best little like nugget of scripture that talks about um, the gospel, I, I think is in Romans. And it says, um, it's as simple as this. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved, that's it. But that confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, what that means is if he's Lord of my life, then he gets final say on everything and he has highest precedent. So it says this, going on. So it says they went and saw where he was staying and they spent the day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two guys who had heard what John said and went to Jesus. So you got Andrew as one of the two, we just learned his name. And it says this, it says the first thing Andrew did. So Andrew does the come and see, right? He investigates for himself. He encounters Jesus. He's like, Jesus is who I've been looking for. And it says the first thing that Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we found the Messiah. That's the Christ, right? And so in other words, he experiences Jesus and his first impulse is, I'm going to go and get someone I care about and bring them to Jesus so they can investigate for themselves as well. And here's the reality is we talk about what we enjoy you talk about the things you enjoy. You, if you saw a hilarious TikTok, you're sending that to your closest friends because they're going to think it's funny too. Uh, if you um, binge The Summer I Turned Pretty, you're telling your friends that they got to watch The Summer I Turn Pretty, right? Like uh, if you, anyone do this with restaurants? I'm like, if I get a new restaurant, let me do it this way. Has anyone been to Slice House yet? Yes, right? Okay, so like Two, three weeks ago, if you don't know Slice House, Slice House is this new pizza place on Thousand Oaks Boulevard, it's right by the post office and you can tell by my tone that it's good. But like three weeks ago, my dad hits me up out of the blue and he's like, you got lunch plans? There's this new pizza place. Wanna go to Slice House with me? And I was like, father, yes I do. Uh, And so I met him there and gosh, Slice House is so good. They've got everything. They've got deep dish, they've got Detroit style, they've got thin crust. It's by the Slice, it's delicious. I recommend the Angelino. it's really good. But anyways, so I, I go to Slice House with my dad. I experience it for myself. It is transcendent pizza. And then what do you think I do for the next week? Every time I have a meetup with somebody, I take them to Slice House. Where's Asa? Asa's in here. I made Asa go to Slice House. It was good, wasn't it? Oh, so good. But we talk about what we enjoy, right? Like if we sincerely appreciate something, if we're genuinely stoked about it, we're going to talk about it. You can't help but talk about it. And here's the thing. We talk about God when we really enjoy him right like if we don't really enjoy God if we don't have real encounter with him if we don't have real experience real relationship we're not just going to like muster the energy to talk about him we talk about what we enjoy and so we need encounter we need to experience the living God or maybe sometimes we've experienced him and then we've forgotten or we've gotten distracted but we talk about what we enjoy and so if we're going to be found people who find people we have to remember why we loved God in the first place it goes on to say this in verse 42 and if You're in the band, you can come up and start setting up. It says this, so he goes and he gets his brother, Andrew, and it says, and he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him, And he recognizes him, they've never met face to face. He looks at him and he says, you're Simon, son of John. You'll be called Cephas, he changes his name. He's like, I got something for you. I'm gonna transform you right now, right? But he recognizes him, he's like, I know you, I know your dad, like I got season tickets to you. I'm a fan, I've been watching, you've been on my mind. I binged your season, Simon, I love you. What's up, Simon, come on, follow me, he knows him. Here's the question. Do you believe that Jesus is good news for the people that you love? Do you believe that? Because if you do, it'll motivate you. It moves forward, and it says this in verse 43. It says, the next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. So then he finds Philip. It says, finding Philip, new guy, he says, follow me to Philip. And Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from a town of Bethsaida. And then it says, Philip found Nathanael, right? It's this... Pinball effect. It's this cascading effect of Jesus finds this person and then that person goes and grabs somebody and then that person goes and grabs somebody. Like that's how the gospel goes out. That's how the gospel went from 12 people to a global relationship that people can have with God is that people tell people, tell people, found people, find people. Jesus finds Philip, Philip finds Nathaniel, found people, find people. And so he goes to Nathaniel. And he tells them, we found the one Moses wrote about in the law, in whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And here's, if I can get real with you guys real quick, here's what I think um, the believers in the room are kind of banking on. We're kind of banking on this fantasy that passive evangelism will do the trick, right? Like we tell ourselves, like, if I just live a good life, someday someone will sit me down and say, there's something different about you can I sit with you and ask about it? And you'll be like, it's Jesus. And they'll be like, I've been wanting to hear more about him, tell me. Um, And let me tell you, that could happen. That's also the least likely way that you're gonna share the gospel with somebody. A lot of us are just like banking on passive evangelism when what we actually need and when the call of God is proactive evangelism, that we go after the lost, that we march into the darkness looking for people who are cut off and alone and hurt and afraid and filthy, and we bring them good news, proactive evangelism. And here's the reality, my friends. We have not shared Jesus until we've spoken the name of Jesus to people, right? Like if you're just like, I'm gonna live different and let people see that, um, or even if it's like, I'm just gonna like pray in the quad um, or whatever that thing might be, you haven't shared Jesus until you've spoken the name of Jesus to people in love. You just haven't. So they, they tell Nathaniel that like, we found him. And Nathaniel's response, I love this. Nathaniel says, Nazareth. Because they say the Messiah is um, Jesus of Nazareth. And then Nathaniel goes, Nazareth, can anything good come from there? In other words, like, do you have that friend in your group who will just say anything, right? Like no filter. They'll just say what like pops in their mind. And they're kind of the friend that you're like, oh my gosh, like never know what they're going to say. Or like, this is the friend I don't want to meet my parents because like they won't have the filter. And they'll say the thing that will offend them. And then I won't be able to be friends with that person anymore. Like that's Nathaniel. They're like, we found God and he's from Nazareth. And Nathaniel is like, this will be a great moment for me to make a dig at Nazareth because I don't like it, right? Uh, he's like, I'm just going like, to work on my stand-up routine and make a dig at Nazareth. He says, can anything good come from there? Um, and here's the thing. What if you have friends who want to talk about God but don't know how? Like, what if you have that friend that you've written off? You're like, they're the person who's not interested. They're the person um, who's like not a good candidate for church or for Jesus, whatever that means. Um, And maybe you've just written them off in your head. But what if they want to talk about God and they just don't know how to start the conversation? And so Nathaniel makes a dig at Nazareth. And he says, can anything good come from there? And Philip's response is just this. He goes, we'll come and see come and check out for yourself. And here's the thing, guys, evangelism can be uncomfortable. I'll tell you from experience. Um, Not usually as uncomfortable as you would expect. Actually, usually people are so much more willing and excited to have the conversations, but it can be uncomfortable. But the reality is, is that comfort is the enemy of growth. Right? Like if your highest ambition is to be comfortable all the time, I've got a news flash for you, you will not grow in your life. Like comfort is actually the enemy of growth. And so if you want to grow, you have to embrace discomfort to say, you know what? I have a higher value in the thing that I'm gonna enter into. The risk is that it's uncomfortable, but I can handle uncomfortable. God made me tough. God made me strong. Comfort's the enemy of growth. And here's where the story lands says this when jesus saw nathaniel approaching he recognized him because he knew him and he uh he acknowledges the quality that nathaniel's friends acknowledge he goes "Uh, here's an israelite um who in whom there is no deceit in other words he's like here's the guy who's going to speak his mind nathaniel i know nathaniel he's the guy who's no filter he's going to tell me what's what Um, from his mind to his lips to my ears. He'll tell me. He goes, here's the dude who in him there's no deceit. He'll shoot me straight. And Nathaniel's confused because he's never met Jesus. He says, how do you know me? And Jesus answers and he says, Nathaniel, I saw you while you were still under the tree before Philip even came to get you. I've had my eye on you. I know you. I knit you together in your mother's womb, Nathaniel. I've seen you. And it says, then Nathaniel declared, Rabbi, you're the son of God. You're the king of Israel. And Jesus said, you believe because I told you that I saw you under the fig tree. In other words, I read you your mail. I told you what I couldn't know about you because I am who I say I am. He's, he's a, so that's why you believe. But he says this, here's his promise. He goes, you'll see greater things than that. Come with me. Like, I know you, I love you, I formed you, I read you, you're male, but that's not where it ends. You're gonna see so much better than that if you follow me. So come along, come and see for yourself. So there's two things that happen when we take the risk to speak to, speak to people about Jesus. The first is that our faith grows. Um, there's no growth without risk. There's no growth without discomfort. And I, I can't tell you the number of people I've talked to over the years where they're like, I just, I don't, I'm not experiencing God. Like, I don't know where he is. I'm, I'm not feeling him. Maybe once upon a time I did, but Jesus was pretty clear. Uh, it, the last thing he said before he ascended back to heaven, Matthew 28, the great commission, we call it, right? Like the big assignment for all of us. It's like, okay, now that you've encountered me, found people, find people, like go and tell people, get the news out. And he says, if you do that, he says, and behold, I'll be with you. In other words, if you're not experiencing me, it's because you're not where I am. I gave you a mission, go and tell people, and that's how you'll experience me, right? Like you encounter me at the beginning, um, just me and you, but you encounter me daily when you are on the mission of being a found person who finds people. And so when we take the risk to speak about Jesus, it grows our faith. And then the other thing that happens is God grows his family. Right? Like the message goes out and God brings people in and there's always room at the table for them. God grows our faith, but he grows his family. And so here's the last thing that I wanna say before I pray and I leave this stage. I wanna challenge you guys um, to pray a prayer this week, Um, but don't do it like willy nilly. Um, If you know what it has been to be lost and you've been found and you wanna be a found person who finds people, I wanna encourage you to pray this prayer. Lord, give me the opportunity to speak about Jesus this week. Don't pray it if you don't mean it, um, because I can tell you, God will answer it. And that opportunity will come and you'll recognize the moment. And opportunities are like doors. You go through them or you go past them, but you'll know it when you see it. And if you're brave and if you're willing to embrace discomfort, I wanna challenge you to ask God to give you an opportunity and give you the eyes to see it of, can I speak about Jesus? I'm not gonna bully people about Jesus. I'm not going to pressure people. I'm not gonna guilt people about the behavior in their life. I'm gonna have a posture in my heart that says, come and see. Um, And I'm gonna initiate that conversation when the door opens. Let me pray. Jesus, thank you so much uh, for who you are. Thank you that you find us when we're in darkness, when we're cut off, when we're alone, when we're confused, when we're afraid, when we're filthy and we're powerless to change our circumstance. And the good news is that you can address all of those things. God, we're not perfection, your perfection. We're not peace, your peace. We're not joy, your joy. We're not hope, your hope. Uh, and so, God, thank you that you're good news for us. And so, Lord, for those of us in the room who are found, would we take no higher joy than in finding people? And God, for those of us in the room who are searching, God, your posture has always been and will always be come and see. And so, God, would you be easy to find? Um, would you provide answers to questions? Um, would you provide encounter? Um, would you step into people's experiences? Because we can't encounter the real Jesus and not change. Us. so, Lord, would you show up? God, we give you these next few songs in worship um, with sincere hearts. We love you, Lord, and we thank you. we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks so much for joining us here on the Calvary HSM podcast. We would love if you could connect with us on social media using the handle at CalvaryHSM805 on Instagram or going to our website, calvarywestlake.org slash HSM. We always have fun things going on, and we want you to be a